Welcome to Attachment Theory in Action, a weekly podcast presented by the Knowledge Center at Chaddock. Our podcast is dedicated to therapists, social workers, counselors, and psychologists working with clients from an attachment-based perspective. Join host Karen Doyle Buckwalter for an insightful, informative, and inspiring conversation with leading attachment theory researchers and clinicians in the field. Today, Karen welcomes Dr. Jody Russin for part one of their discussion on attachment-based family therapy. Part two will be released on Tuesday, May 26th. Hey there, all you Attachment Theory in Action listeners. Welcome back for another podcast. Today, we are going to be speaking with Dr. Jody Russin, and Jody will be joining us um, from the Virginia Tech Department of Human Development and Family Science, which is where she teaches and supervises and does research. Just a little bit about her, she came to Virginia Tech after completing a three-year postdoctoral research fellowship in family intervention science in Philadelphia. She has focused her career on adaptation, implementation, and dissemination of science in family psychotherapy. Her research is dedicated to vulnerable youth, particularly LGBTQ adolescents and young adults struggling with suicide, depression, trauma, and disordered eating. She is going to be talking with us today about attachment-based family therapy. She is a certified trainer and supervisor in this model and is going to be educating us about the model today. A little bit of other information about Dr. Russin. She grew up in a military family, so she lived all over the country. She completed her undergraduate degree in psychology at the University of Delaware, and it was there that she fell in love with the idea of helping other people and facilitating change. She went on to Towson University, where she received a master's degree in counseling psychology, and during her time at Towson is when she discovered her passion for family therapy during an internship that allowed her to work with adolescents. Through that experience, she realized that family therapy made change happen so much faster, which is especially critical when addressing suicide, which is one of her research areas. And she was seeing an impact on uh, this issue in family therapy much more effectively than individual therapy. So that is when she then went on to Drexel University and achieved her doctorate and um, did her postdoctoral fellowship at the Center for Family Intervention and Science. And she was immersed there in research and furthering her expertise in clinical family research. And at that time was when she did become certified as a supervisor trainer in attachment-based family therapy. I am really excited to have her here as our guest today for an empirically validated attachment-based intervention with families, and I know you're really going to enjoy this interview, so she will be hopping on with us here in a minute. 
Hello again, everybody, and I am back uh, with Dr. Jody Russon. Jody, uh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Yes, and so if you could give you a little bit of informal background about yourself and how you were drawn to this work and how you ended up where you are now, I think that would be a great way to start. Absolutely. So I am a licensed marriage and family therapist. I am also an assistant professor with human development and family science department at Virginia Tech uh, within the family therapy area. So my focus in that work is on psychotherapy research, dissemination of treatment models that are going to be most helpful for youth who are vulnerable to suicide and also focusing on training um, new therapists, PhD level therapists to be very intentional about their treatment. Yes. And I love that having you here on the Attachment Theory in Action podcast because one of your primary areas of work is attachment-based family therapy. That's right. Yes. Yes. And, and some would say that Bowlby was one of the earliest family therapists. <laughs> yes, I would agree with that. Bowlby took relational thinking uh, into the field and un- helped us understand how much we're impacted by other people. And that is what I would say has drawn, drawn me most to family therapy is that the point of change for many of us comes through our relationships and through our way of developing uh, our attachment schemas or internal workings um, according to that. Yes, yes. So could you give us an overview on what attachment-based family therapy is? Absolutely. So attachment-based family therapy was developed by Guy Diamond, Gary Diamond, and Suzanne Levy in Philadelphia. Um, the, the premise of the model, it's a suicide treatment model. It was developed for youth who experience depression, suicidality, and trauma. It's one of the few um, empirically supported therapies that uh, address this population from a relational perspective. Um, and one of the few overall as well. And so the idea of attachment-based family therapy is the way to address suicide or, or the way to address adolescent distress is by strengthening the attachment relationship between the, the youth or the adolescent and the caregiver. And it's actually through strengthening that attachment, through creating a secure base within the parent that would reduce symptoms of, of suicidality. So um, if our developer was, was here, he would say to us, you know, I get a lot of feedback from my colleagues in psychology and they say, you're not focusing on the suicide at first. And, and he says, no, we're not. We're focusing on the relationship first because that's our mechanism of change in this model. Not that we ignore the suicidality, we monitor it it and take care of it, but we are focusing on the relationship and that's deliberate conversation with the family. Um, Uh, Yes, 
That is in summary what it is. And of course, there's a complicated set of uh, tasks and uh, phases within those tasks. But in summary, that, that's what the model tells us. And, you know, I think, too, um, maybe another place you've gotten pushback. I don't know. I, I, this is from my own experience of doing attachment-based work with adolescents well, the, the task of adolescence is separation. Like, what, what are you talking about? Why would you be looking at attachment? You know, that's like, you, you, you're, you're off base here developmentally with these kids. Um, and I wonder if you've ever gotten that kind of question posed. Yes, very often. And and what I, I am an ABFT trainer and supervisor. And so I love talking through these questions with folks. And um, so, you know, of course, there, there's a lot of good information. And, and Erickson's model helps us understand that adolescence is about um, autonomy and individuation. And, and that is absolutely the case. But where we come in, as we say, adolescents aren't able to do that task well if they don't have a secure base to fall back on. So it's actually through the secure base and the attachment relationships that adolescents are able to go out and explore their world and develop their autonomy. And indeed, a lot of the kids we see are stuck there. They, they can't do this. Mm -hmm. And they need that secure base, that, that goal-corrected partnership that we call it, to um, be able to reach that developmental task. Yes, and I think, you know, and I say it over and over, and it's probably one of his most famous quotes, but Bowlby said, from the cradle to the grave, we need a safe haven and a secure base in our attachment figures. I was just this week with a parent of a, a high schooler, um, and she was telling th 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 this uh uh, high schooler happens to have been adopted from China, but she was telling me um, she really doesn't have trouble doing her homework if I'm here at the island in the kitchen just puttering around doing mm. things. She can really stay on task, get her homework done, be okay. Mm. Um, but if I'm not here, you know, at the island puttering around, washing dishes, whatever, sometimes even doing some of my own work. It, it, it's it's like night and day and I thought of course I I always have attachment theory in my mind and I thought well safe base you know it's like you know mom is there I could take on this challenging task maybe feels a little overwhelming or maybe even feels like I don't really want to do it but if I look over and see mom there I could do it and I I just thought that that was interesting that's such a beautiful physical manifestation of, of what we're talking about here. And it, it makes me think that we have to help our parents think about this both in physical proximity and in emotional proximity. Because I, I've worked with a, a lot of adolescents, and I, I don't know um, if you've had the same experience, Karen, where, where you work with some parents who are like, I know what to do when my kid, my, my adolescent is hurting. I'm going to pick them up and smother them and take care of them physically and and 
at this stage in their development, we have to help caregivers do that with their words instead of the two-year-old response. And sometimes that gets in the way of the parent-child bond. And so it's teaching them how to reconstruct that physical intimacy. Maybe it's that I'm around you while you're doing your homework on the island and I'm not intrusive on your space. Or it's I give you the emotional space to talk about what your true experiences are, what your ruptures, we call them ruptures, these things that get in the way between caregivers and kids, and how to emotionally respond in a way that helps support kids' autonomy while making them feel close. So I, I just when you told me that, it reminded me of all these different elements that we think about when we try to prepare parents to be a secure base. Yeah, and I think too, um, and maybe you agree with this, there are moments where that physical contact is needed. So we're not saying, oh no, you know, um, there's times when I've had teenagers that want to sit on someone's lap and cry, you know, a parent, you know, and it's just that you have to watch for their cues, you know, and, and when, when, I think David Cross, who co-developed TBRI, said something one time about, you know, they don't need you all the time at that this stage the way they did, but when they need you, you want to be there. Yes. Yes. And I would say, too, in addition to that, it looks different for every kid. Yes. Thank so, you. Yes. Some kids feel smothered. Other kids long for that connectedness. Yes. One of the things I've learned as a therapist is it's about what the kid thinks. In ABFT, it's about the kid's narrative. It's not whether me as the therapist thinks, oh, this, this kid, this parent is cold or this parent is smothered. It's about that kid's reality of how they perceive the parent that is so important that we want to get across. And so there's been parents we've prepared who I have felt have really struggled in repairing the attachment, but it has been enough of a change for the kid that they have like they have absolutely benefited from it. So it's been humbling for me to really back off of what my own um, assumptions or ideology is really getting into the kid's head about what they feel at any given moment with the caregiver, if that makes sense. Oh, yes. I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, and I, I really appreciate you emphasizing the point um, that it's different for different kids and we have to watch for for what they need and and not be so prescriptive uh you know um so yeah i really really appreciate you you saying that so now i also know um there's some different tasks in the model and i'm sure we can't go fully into those but i did think maybe if i couldn't we could talk about uh, the, the five tasks, maybe a little bit about each one. Would it be okay if I just read the five to kind of orient our listeners? So reframing the therapy to focus on interpersonal development, 
can already hear like cheers going on, you know, people listening to this, <laughs> building alliance with the adolescent, building alliance with the parents. And is that not the task of family therapy that everyone feels supported? Um, facilitating conversations to resolve attachment ruptures and promoting autonomy and competency in the adolescent. And so I love that you go there too, because that again gets to this whole thing. We're not we're not trying to regress someone or 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 something like this. That's not what's going on here, is it? So what about the first one, reframing the therapy to focus on interpersonal development? What can you tell us about that one, Dr. Russin? So uh, that's task one for us, and that is the foundation of ABFT. It happens in one session, and we hope that it is a profound experience for our families. So what we do is we help caregivers who come in concerned about behavior. My kid isn't going to school. She's mean to her little sister. She won't get out of bed. Uh, she's manipulative with, with saying she's going to hurt herself. We take the behavior and shift to attachment themes. So instead of focusing on the behavior like we did when we came in, we are shifting so that we're focusing on the relationship. So one key element is we understand the background of what goes on with, with the youth and the family. Then we ask a critical question. When you are upset and alone in your room, adolescent, what gets in the way of you going to your mom or your grandma for support? And the answer to that helps us start to expand what has gotten in the way. What are those ruptures? Why are we not close? Where has trust been broken? And what are the emotional ramifications of that? And once we keep families there, once they feel the weight of that disconnection, we have the leverage to ask them if they can agree to working on the relationship first, if we can help them get connected as our first goal of therapy, if we can make the team bigger instead of continuing to fight and be disconnected. And if we get a concrete yes from the caregivers and from the youth, then we have a good foundation to move forward. That is so beautiful. And it's making me, um, because I do a lot of work with the adult attachment interview, it's mm -hmm. making me think of one, you know, a, a big question on there. When you were upset as a child, what would you do? But it just feel so much more hopeful in this circumstance because you know you're saying and let's do some you know if you say i went to my room alone and cried you know we're, we're just kind of continuing with the interview and and often um that's a very set strategy at that point and you're saying how can we do that differently and having opportunity and invitation for that how beautiful Yes, yes, our developers would say we have this unique opportunity. The majority of therapy with adults from an AAI perspective or from an attachment perspective is looking back and resolving some of these things from our childhood. But wow, we have the opportunity to do that in the here and now with our adults.
really make change happen. And yeah. that's so exciting for yeah. me at least about yes. this. Yes, there's there's time there to to have this be changing in real time, you know. <sighs> what I, I don't know if it would have been in the mind of the listeners, but I also had in my mind, conversely, what happens if the family says no? Yep. So <laughs> if you come to one of our trainings, yes, which are th three days long is our introductory training. What we do is we start with the ideal. Ideally, we bring yes. the family oh. are really longing for this. And and then we get a yes, but we have scaled back options. What if the kids says no? What if the caregivers say no? What if they struggle to emotionally deepen? Um, and so for us, what what we think about is if we can't get the family to agree to a goal of repairing trust or building trust or building connection, we'll say, will you reduce conflict? This conflict is killing you. It is hurting you. Can we address this as part of our therapy? Mm. If not that, then sometimes we talk, it, the, our last scale back is, kid, will you at least agree to come back and speak to us? And usually it's the kid, not the caregiver struggling um, in our experience. And so we will, we will scale back and then just ask for another meeting with the kid. Well, and that leads very nicely into the next of the five treatment tasks, building alliance with the adolescent, which some would say is a tall order in any circumstance of um, often adolescents not wanting to, to be in therapy, although it makes a big difference when everyone's there and it's not you know, when we do our in-home intensives with families, we say we're here for everybody, you know, which is a very different message than, you know, you're being taken into the therapist as the problem child. So, so building alliance with the adolescent, I think just the fact that it's a family-based thing speaks volumes just to begin with. Yes, absolutely. And, and I our goal, we, we call this shuttle diplomacy in ABFT. When we meet in task two and task three, adolescent alliance phase uh, task and the parent alliance task, we are using what we learn from each other to facilitate connection later on. And so it's important to note that, that the parent alliance and adolescent alliance tasks Tasks two and three happen simultaneously. So one week I'm meeting with the youth, one week I'm meeting with the parents, and then we work that way until we feel like we're ready to come back together. Okay. Does that make sense? I think it does, and I think it. I can see the, the wisdom of that. Um, particularly early on, I could imagine there are things to be said that aren't appropriate to say with everyone yet that could maybe be hurtful or really just reenacting the pattern right. that the folks are already in, but yet need to be communicated to the therapist. And I could see that on both sides. 
Right. And this model is all about preparation. If you if you think about Mnuchin and Mnuchin's work, you know, he was like instructional. Everybody come together, turn to your mom and tell her about that. He just made things happen. He was very charismatic. ABFT is about preparation. We want to engineer those experiences. We want to make sure people are ready to do something different in their enactment and instead of, of just asking people to do it. We find that that helps families, especially those who are in a lot of distress like our, our suicidal clients are. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's the purpose of, of task two on the youth side is, is to help them get to the place where they're understanding how their relationship with their parent, how their attachment injuries or traumas are relating to their mental health distress or suicidality um, or depression so that they have the coherence to say, ah, it makes sense that I've been hurting. When I was left alone to deal with my stuff on my own and I didn't think caregivers cared about me, I had no choice but, but, but to suffer. I had no choice but to turn all of that against myself. And this is how it's affected me. It has affected my friendships. It has affected my life. And then once we help them develop that coherence, we can help them prepare to tell those ruptures to their parents, to talk with them about what really got in the way and the impact of the loss of trust or the feelings of abandonment or the feelings of not being protected the impact that that has had on them. We want them to turn to their parents and tell them that in our next task. And so that is the goal of our task two process, which usually takes between two and four, maybe more sessions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, yeah. Um, so I, lo I, I, I love that. Um, and we can get to more of this in a minute, but I just keep thinking, Suicide. I mean, the stakes are so high here. I'm just imagining when I was thinking about building the alliance with parents and the amount of anxiety and fear in a parent when they believe that their child is at risk or I'm assuming may have already attempted suicide. Exactly. Yes. Wow. Like that. It, well, it doesn't get much higher than that. I mean, I, I can't imagine the anxiety and fear higher. Uh, I mean, maybe equal to terminal illness or something, but um, at least, but there's, yeah, anyway, so could you speak to that for a minute in terms of getting behind the parents? I'm just trying to imagine what that's like. Yes, yes. Well, and I love this question because that's exactly what we need to do. When we meet in task three with the Parent Alliance, we have to start right there. Mom, dad, grandma, uh, older sister, whoever you're working with, it must have, it ha has been so scary for you or it has been so overwhelming for you or it has been so challenging for you to be in this situation. Tell me what that is like. Mm 
Let's talk about you and your current stressors and how you're managing. That's how we build a bond with the parents. We want them to know that we see them too, that we're on their team, that we're not here to blame them, that we're here to support them. And then once we do that, we can really help them start to link some of their own reactions, some of their own parenting practices on the adolescent experience. A big part of what we do is what we call intergenerational work, where we ask parents to reflect on their attachment relationships early on in their childhood, not dissimilar to the AAI process, Mm -hmm. and help them to link how their unmet attachment needs or their experiences with their caregiver relates to their parenting practices and their adolescence experience. And we find that are often uh, intergenerational and that parents need to understand that and have empathy for themselves as kids to really be able to connect to their, to their children. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That intergenerational intergenerational transmission, which has always been a big thing in family therapy. You know, I find some folks are who are trained in family therapy and have identified as family therapists. The attachment stuff is not as big of an aha. For, I, I think some of them are wondering, like, what's all the fuss about? Like, we've known. <laughs> We've known about generational transmission of patterns since the beginning of many of the theorists working from a family therapy perspective. So that's kind of, you were really early adopters and forerunners with some of this. Yes, yes. And, and, um, and that's what I'll say about ABFT is, is what happens is we take the elements of different models of family therapy theories and have integrated them in a way that what, what Guy Diamond, the developer, would say is he takes the most salient parts of those theories and makes it a... Um, a concrete model that will help to engineer corrective attachment experiences very quickly. So he feels like he's pulled those elements from these approaches and models to be able to do that. And indeed, we have a lot of therapists that come up to us at our trainings and say, you know, I do this, I think about attachment, I think about intergenerational, but what your model helps me to do is do it in 12 weeks instead of two years. Mm. And so, so his that's a big compliment, and yes, and good for lots of reasons for families, for funding, for the therapy, like for everything. (laughs) That's right. That's right. And so it's it's this process of enduring. What are the components to lead us up to these transformative moments in therapy, and and how do we engineer those experiences? So that's what our our developer would say. And so. And because I've thought about this a lot um, since my family therapy training came before my real immersion in attachment theory, but if you think of Bowen systems theory, if you think of Satir's work, there's, there's elements of attachment that run through all of these. And, you know, so I'm hearing you say we uh, have distilled into something very powerful from 
those who went before us and and of course added your own thinking and current um, neuroscience and um, really come up with something very powerful, it sounds like. Yes, but we do stand on the shoulders of giants. We stand on the shoulder of Mnuchin and Boldy and Leslieberg and Sue Johnson and um, Howard Little and Naj. We stand on all those shoulders to, to engineer this. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Well, let's take a short break before we move on to what for our listeners will be part two of this. I'm so enjoying this conversation. You're just fascinating what you're sharing, Dr. Russell. Okay. I'm enjoying it too. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Attachment Theory in Action. Please follow our site, tkcchaddock.org, or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean for future podcasts. If you enjoyed our podcast, please leave a review and share with your professional network. For additional resources, training opportunities, and blogs, please log on to tkcchaddock.org. We hope you'll join us again as we continue to explore the world of adoption, trauma, and attachment theory.